welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. This morning, I had the privilege of speaking at St. Anne's Ascension Living Center. So it's kind of a home for elderly people that are in their last stages of life and where they could, who are in need of caretakers. And this is a Roman Catholic institution, but Sister, Mar- Sister Marie asked me, she's a nun, I'm pretty sure, um, she asked me to come and, and lead their chapel and uh, hopefully we'll get more opportunities and Daniel will get the opportunity. And I gotta say, it was one of the It was one of the best mornings I've ever had. And in fact, I didn't even have, this isn't about me, but I didn't even have this sermon written prior to this. And I was stressed out. And I went and had this worship, this this time of worship with these elderly folk. And I was just brought to tears. I led them in hymns. Should have heard their singing. Um, and it was it was awesome to hear them sing praises of the Lord. We sang Rock of Ages and the, uh, the church's one foundation and also Amazing Grace. And I preached from Luke chapter 7, 36 through 50, which is what I preached on on Sunday morning, except I did like a 20-minute version of it because I would put them to sleep, all right? <laughs> and uh, then we sang some more after. And I was just moved to tears seeing these 80, 90-year-olds on the precipice of death, like they're really close, faithfully worshiping the Lord. And I don't know where each of, each of their hearts are. There's a hundred people there, but only nine showed up for their chapel. So I'm guessing it's the nine that are take their faith seriously. And I couldn't help while I was preaching, while I was singing, uh, and while I saw them sitting in their wheelchair and when I was done, about death, really questions like will i still be singing praises like that when i am in a wheelchair lord willing if i live that long i mean we all are born dependent like my daughter is completely dependent her survival is based upon us and in the same way we will end up if we live to a long age where we are fully dependent on people to take care of us and will i still be singing the glorious truths of the gospel at that age. And then I started to think, oh, what about all of you? The students that God has put me over. I just would, I long, like my hope is that you, that would be you someday. That you would make it to the end. That you would endure to the end. And it's just interesting that I start off my day preaching to those who are ready to die. And now preaching to you who are just starting your life. And really, this idea of seeing you guys endure to the end is really the goal of Redeemer students. It's really the goal of our church. Why do we do this? Why do we meet? Is this just a a time for us leaders to babysit you guys? Uh, To have fun and entertainment? And is, is that it? Probably not. I think there's more to life than that. 
Our goal is to disciple students, you, in the faith and to ground you guys in the gospel. A grounding that is so firm that will hold fast in every storm of life. As Riley said, you are promised suffering and trials. You will go through them. And so the goal of our ministry is really to give you guys that foundation to weather those storms. It is to produce an army of young pilgrims. A pilgrim army, Charles Spurgeon called it. That's what we're doing. We're pilgrims. We're exiles. We're walking through this land, right? Until we reach the city of light. That is heaven. While at the same time, we're God's soldiers. We're ambassadors. We're fighting and waging a war against spiritual forces as we preach the gospel. And that's what we want to do. We want to produce a pilgrim army that knows how to wield the sword against the enemy and endure through the long, weary journey of life with hope and courage. It's just easy for us to be, get comfortable. And when there's one day, there will be a final day when you have to cross that great river called death into the afterlife. You will do that. And my hope is that you have a sure footing in that deep river, that you could feel the ground. You have a hope and a sure foundation to walk through boldly to see your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the goal of Redeemer students. That is why we exist. That is why we gather. So let's just remember that. And so the question then becomes, how can we reach this goal? How can you reach this goal of being faithful until the end? You're young. You're not thinking about the end, but you should. You should go to funerals when you can. Maybe some of you should come to St. Anne's house. Actually, you know, Luther prayed to St. Anne to become a monk. So it's really fun to sing, to preach the gospel in a Catholic institution. Anyways, St. Anne, you should come and you should think about death and ask yourself, how are we to reach this goal personally, but then corporately together? Because we are up against many enemies, many obstacles. You are up against many ferocious enemies. And their whole goal is to tempt young pilgrims off the road. Is to say, oh, this road looks a little bit easier. And next thing you know, you're falling into a deep ditch called hell. (laughs) You're not staying on the narrow path, but the broad way. That's what our enemies are trying to do. They're trying to attempt you to, to turn back to the city of destruction. And I've seen it before. I've seen it. Many of you, many people have come and gone through this ministry. They've professed Christ for a season. But if you look at their life now, they're back in the city of destruction. They're back loving their sin. So how can we reach this goal of making it until the end? Turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I want to end. We started in Proverbs. It's written by Solomon. A lot of it is written by Solomon. And so is Ecclesiastes. And many believe that Ecclesiastes was written at the end of Solomon's life. As he ponders all of his pursuits. Remember, he was so rich and wealthy. He had everything that he could ever imagine. And, and now he's pondering his whole life. And all of his pursuits. And he says, all is vanity of vanities. It's all empty emptiness it's like a mist and he's trying to convince us of what our purpose is in life and and convince us not to walk down the same path that he did 
So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, as you realize, it's the end of Ecclesiastes. And so he's made his point. Everything in life is vanity. But then he comes to his conclusion. And he says this. This is just a verse to tattoo on your hearts. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come. He's talking about death now. And the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In that day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. You know, there are some men there in wheelchairs this morning who were probably once strong but are now bent over. And they can't even hold themselves up at the old person's home that I was there. He's talking about death here. Those who look through the windows are dim, verse 4, and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of the bird and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails. Why? Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets mourning death because the silver cord is snapped. And the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. It's all a vapor. Life is a vapor. What's the message tonight? Verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. That's all I want to look at tonight. You want to make it into the end. You want to endure. You need to remember, young people, the creator in the days of your youth. The chief sin of people in this world, especially young people, when I look at the vast uh, quantity of young people, the, the chief sin is that they have forgotten and forsaken God for worthless idols. Is this not what we observe? Just take a step back and imagine you're on a school campus and you see all these people, all these young people, just they're busy bodies. And what are they busy doing? Hours of homework. Hours of social media upkeep. Hours of video games. Hours of practice. Hours of gossip. Hours of, of, I don't know, hanging out. Just busyness. Hours upon hours upon hours of doing so much things to distract them from what is most important, which is to remember that they have a creator. See, we often think that Satan's strategy, his tactics against you, are to get us to fall into some wicked, just heinous sins. Like, he just wants us to become murderers and, and, or to become an atheist, right? When really, one of his great weapons, I would say the greatest weapon that he has and uses against you, you know what it is? It's called the art of distraction. 
Satan's goal is to get you to not think about eternal things. So if he could get you to think about fantasy football, he wins. If you're not thinking about your creator. C.S. Lewis wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters. And basically what it is, is it's this fictional book where... Is, it, is Screwtape the, the master demon? He's the, he's the uncle, okay? So, and and Screwtape is this, the master who has this apprentice demon called uh, Wormwood? Okay, got it. So, Screwtape is counseling Wormwood in how to tempt young believers away from God. That's the whole book. It's really interesting. And one of the, this is, I love, I love what C.S. Lewis writes. He's so insightful into how Satan works. He says this, uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, Screwtape is talking here, the, the master demon. He says, it is funny how mortals, that is me and you, always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out of their mind. It does not matter how small the sins are provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. He says, murder is no better than cards or entertainment if entertainment can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. And so this demon is counseling this, this apprentice demon saying, hey, this is how you tempt young believers. You don't have to turn them into a murderer. You see to get them to stop thinking about God. Make sure that they don't think about death. Make sure they don't think about their creator. If you could do that by making them think about entertainment, you got them. The enemy is seeking to have you forget your creator. That's the point. Why Solomon hits it right on the nose. And our goal this year and every year in Redeemer students is to constantly put the creator before your face. Like what does JT do? What's his goal on Wednesday night? It's literally to take God and his word and shove it into your face (laughs) so that you could see him and be confronted. Because we need to do that. And there's some reasons for that. Why? Why Why is this important? Because to have a creator means first, point number one, that you are a creature. When we remember that we have a creator, we also remember that we are the creature. This is so vital to the Christian life, to know that you are not God. So simple, yet so profound. God is the creator, you're the creature. God is the independent being. He's not dependent on anyone, but you are dependent on everything. You're dependent on air to breathe, on cereal to eat tonight, on on water to drink. You are a dependent being. Without these things, you will die. Have you seen the show Alone? You know what's crazy about the show Alone? I think it's on Netflix is these people are trying to survive alone. And, And some of them have tons of food stocked up, but they snap mentally because they're alone they were made for fellowship and so you are a dependent being is the point whereas god he is self-sufficient 
He is not dependent on anyone or anything. God is your owner and you are his subject. God has no limits. He's eternal. You have limits. You have limits to your knowledge, limits to your strength. You're temporal. You will die. How about this? God, we're remembering our creator here. God is not made up of parts. We are made up of parts. I remove, I just reach into your chest, Roman, and I pull out your heart. It's beating. You will die. Because you're dependent. If I did that to anyone, right? You're dependent. You're made up of parts. If you, if you remove an organ, you will die. Your body relies on each other. Your arm is dependent upon your shoulder. And your shoulder is dependent upon your, your clavicle. I don't know. And it goes on. Everything is made up of parts. But God is not made up of parts. God is not like a pie. He's 25% love. He's, he's 0.5% wrath. That's for sure. And he's 13% just and 30% gracious, right? We Sometimes we think about God, he's, he's made up of parts. He's not. He is who he is. He is all-powerful. You are not. He is sovereign over all, where we can't even control the outcome of our own life. God is immutable. He is not subject to change. Well, we are mutable. I know that to be a fact because I've seen you go from 6th grade to 8th grade. You've changed. God is not subject to passions or emotions. Some of your emotions affect you, right? God is not an emotional being. He's not subject to emotions. See, this is why remembering your creator is vital to the Christian life. John Calvin put it this way. This is why it's vital. He says, it is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face. And then when he looks upon God's face, who he is in his character, and descends from contemplating him to scrutinize himself. For we always seem to ourselves to be righteous and upright and wise and holy. This is pride that is innate in all of us, unless by clear proofs, we stand convinced by our own unrighteousness, foulness, folly, and impurity. Moreover, we are not thus convinced if we look merely to ourselves and not also to the Lord, who is the sole standard by which this judgment must be measured. In other words, to forget your Creator will result in young men and women who view the world completely wrong. Calvin is saying, the way to understand ourselves and our world is by first looking to God and contemplating who He is in His Word and letting that filter our understanding, not the other way around. We don't look to ourselves to understand God. But our world has it completely backwards. People have forgotten God. Therefore, they have a wrong view of themselves. Their lives are not shaped by God. They're shaped by the culture. So, so how does this play out in society? Very simply, their views of justice are not founded on God's character, but on the woke mob. If God is not the creator, then man is autonomous. He is free to do whatever he or she pleases. And what good has that brought into our world? What good has an atheistic, Darwinianistic, 
if that's a world, a word, not a world, an athe- what good has atheism brought? What good has Darwinianism and Marxism brought to our society? Is it abortion? That's, wow. That's the product of Darwinian thinking. What about racism? That's the product of atheistic Darwinian thinking. What about abject poverty and taking from the haves and giving it to the have-nots? It sounds noble, but it's based on theft. I mean, where does all of this forgetting God lead to? The butchering of kids via gender-affirming care? Is that the good that it's producing? That's the end result of those who forget God their creator and do whatever they please. What good has this postmodern world produced for young people? We live in a time with the highest rates of anxiety, depression, and suicide among teens. Seems like that atheistic worldview is working out for you. Why is this? Because you... And us and our world has forgotten our creator. William Robinson was a son of a wealthy Quaker in England. He was not a believer. And in the early 1700s, he came to America and he was teaching at a school in New Jersey. And William Robinson was riding his horse on one night. He's going from one town to the next. And he looked up and he saw the moon and the stars, which we'll probably see tonight. And he was just... It was just filled with unusual brightness. You got to think, the cities back then were not like Chicago or even Rockford that had all this light pollution, right? So he could probably see the stars and it was beautiful. And he sees this grandeur of the scene and he's not a believer. And he says to himself, how transcendently glorious must be the author of all this beauty. And then the thought struck him with suddenness and with a force of lightning. He says... But what do I know of this God? So he's not a believer. He sees the stars and his automatic reaction is, wow, the author must be amazing. And then he's like, wait, if that's true, I don't even know who this is. Who is this God? And he says, have I ever sought his favor or made him my friend? And, and the comment goes saying, this impression never left him and took he to, until he took refuge in Christ as the hope and life of his soul. He recognized his creator and his life was changed. Friends, do not forget your creator in your youth. And this reminds this verse reminds us then that you are a creature. And then secondly, if you are a creature, it means that you are created for a purpose. This is my last point. You are created for a purpose. To remember our creator means to remember that we are the creature. And then also to remember that we are created with a purpose. Think about it. Those of you that love Legos, you love to build things. I love to build things, right? You build with a purpose, with an intent. So I'm trying to convince Caitlin to let me build a chicken coop because I want chickens and I want eggs. Right? To, in order to boil and to throw at my neighbor's house. I'm just kidding. No. To give to my neighbors. Don't do that. That's called vandalism. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> 
I love to build things. And so when I get the supplies, maybe it's a bunch of wood. It looks like scraps of wood on the floor. But my intention with that wood is to build a chicken coop so that I could have eggs and make great omelets. All right. There's a purpose for when you build things and to remember your creator. It means to remember why you were created for if you're created by God, you're created with this specific purpose and intent. And so what is your purpose? I almost hate saying that because it's so cliche now with, psych, uh, with psychologists and, and secular writers that are writing books. Find your purpose in 10 steps, you know. What's your purpose? You know, what's your purpose in life? You don't always say that. It's a good question, but it kind of gets convoluted. And it can mean, you know, in this world, the idea of finding your purpose means that you pursue whatever gives you meaning. And then you're like, well, what gives me meaning? Anything that makes me feel good. Okay, so what makes me feel good is what gives me meaning. And if that thing gives me meaning, then that is my purpose. And so I just pursue what makes me feel. My purpose is to pursue what I feel. And this is exactly how our culture and how people, lost people, think. And it's really sad. And some of you have been tempted in this way. That your purpose is to pursue whatever makes you feel happy. But you know what that makes you? It makes you God with a little G. It makes you the purpose of your life. Your own pleasure and your own feelings become your purpose. Therefore, you're living for yourself. Therefore, yourself is your God. That's the logical conclusion of this. But only creators, and you're not a creator, assigns and ascribes purpose and meaning to their creation. And the Bible is absolutely clear. Why are you here? Why were you created? You have an awesome purpose, and it is this. It's His glory. It's all for God's glory. God created literally everything for His name's sake. God saved people for His glory. God heals people for His glory. God answers prayer for His glory. God gives you talents for His glory. God gives us the church for His glory. Isaiah 48, 9 through 11 says this, For my name's sake, that's God talking, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. So what is God most zealous about? His own glory. His own glory. That's why you were created. You were created for God's glory. Isaiah 43, 6-7 says this. God's greatest goal is to glorify His own name. And He ultimately does that through the exaltation of Jesus Christ, who is empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you know what the Holy Spirit's aim is? To glorify Jesus. <laughs> and so it's like this... this Dance of glorifying one another in the three persons in the Trinity. God is all about His own glory. And His creation is for His name's sake. Therefore, our purpose is to glorify Him. How do we do that, though? How do we do that? Thomas Watson wrote this awesome book called A Body of Divinity. And he summarizes how we're to bring God glory through four things. And I'm just going to summarize it really quick. 
We bring God glory first, and you got to write these down, through appreciation. Appreciating who God is in our thought life. We bring God glory in our thought life, that God is the highest in our thoughts. So appreciation. The second is adoration. Appreciation and then adoration. Adoration means to worship God alone in reverence and in awe according to his word. We glorify God by worshiping him. Third is by our affections. That is our inner life, our heart. We glorify God in, our, in what we delight in. Our love and our delight must be in God. This is the heart set on God like a heart set on treasure. Just like Jack Sparrow. He's trying to get that treasure. His heart is set on it. His delight is in it. Well, in the same way, God must be your delight. And then the fourth thing is subjection. So appreciation in our thought life, adoration with our lips and our lives, that's worship, affection in our hearts and our delight, and then subjection. This means to dedicate ourselves to God, to belong to Him and to no other in our service, worship, and in fighting for truth. You guys are to hold the banner, I belong on God's team, and no other banner. We are in His army. And so the reason... The world, your flesh, and the devil want to distract you from remembering your creator. This is important. The reason why the enemy wants to distract you from your creator is to keep you from glorifying God. If he could keep you from glorifying God and glorifying yourself, he wins. This is why the preacher is telling us, students, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Recognize the purpose in which you are created to, enjoy, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I want to end with this story. Early in the summer of 16, 1765, when she was in her 20s, Lady Glenorchy, what a name, my next daughter, right there. <laughs> Lady Glenorchy was seized with a violent fever. Now this is 1765, okay? You get a fever, you pretty much die, okay? She's seized with a violent fever, which threatened to prove fatal. And she was thus exposed to the danger of eternal ruin. And so she starts to think about death. She's in her 20s. And she records this in her journal as she's becoming very anxious over her life ending. And she says this, during, during the course of the fever, the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism was brought to my mind. It says this, what is the chief purpose of man? As if, and it came to my mind as if someone had asked it. And when I considered the answer to it, it is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And as soon as that answer came into my mind, I was struck with shame and guilt and confusion because I had found that I had never sought to glorify God in my life nor had I any idea of what was meant by enjoying him forever death and judgment were before me my past sins came to my remembrance and I saw no escape to the punishment due unto them 
nor had I least the glimmering hope of obtaining the forgiveness of them through the righteousness of another. And upon thinking about this, she was given great counsel by a friend. That's why community is so important. A friend came to her bedside and ministered to her and, and turned her to the book of Romans. And she started to read the book of Romans. And she came apart across Romans chapter 3 and she says this, I saw in Romans that God could be just and to justify the ungodly. And the Lord Jesus now appeared to me as the city of refuge and I was glad to flee to him as my only hope. She remembered her creator. She was brought with conviction and then someone pointed her to Jesus and she heard the good news of the gospel that if you have not, have not lived a second of your life to God's glory. There is hope for you in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Repent of living for yourself and cling to Him and you will be saved. You will find refuge for your soul and, and gladness and joy as you flee to, flee to Him as your only hope. And so as we see, this woman by the power of the Spirit was brought to remember her Creator and in that moment of believing, she was made into a new creation. She was restored and saved by God's glorious grace for God's glory. And so, this is our goal this year in Redeemer students. What do you have to expect this year? This is what you have to expect. That every single Wednesday night, through song, through prayer, through the preaching, through life groups, through even the background music, you will have the Creator, your Creator, shoved gently and lovingly into your face. <laughs> so that you would not forget Him and forget Jesus Christ. That's why you need to invite your friends. That's why you need to be here. Because even good things in your life are taking you away and making you forget of what's important. And so practically speaking, this is how middle schoolers, you are going to have God shoved in your face in love and tenderness. We're starting off our series in, in September through the attributes of God. We're going to be studying what, who God is and what he is like. And Daniel's going to be opening up our, serm, uh, our sermon series for you guys, which I'm really excited about. And so we're just going to bask in the glory of who God is. And I'm really excited about that for you to learn who, about your creator and about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit. And you high schoolers, in a different way, you're going to have God's grace and mercy and your purpose in this life and your newfound identity in Christ shoved in your face by the study of Ephesians. And it's going to be great. We're going to be walking through the book of Ephesians through the whole year. We're just going to go slowly through it so that you can marvel at the beauty of Paul's writing, of the Holy Spirit's writing, the beauty of God's grace and purpose of the church and who you are in Jesus Christ and what it means to resemble your Father and to live for Him. And so I'm super excited about that. And at, at Rooted, we're going to be even looking at the character of God, which I'll, I'll, I will save that. Um, but everything is just going to be God-centered, as you already know. But we're turning up another notch this year. I'm super excited about that. And I cannot wait to see what happens when 150 plus students come face to face with their creator every single Wednesday. It could change this city. It could change this world. God, it took 12 people, 12 disciples. Imagine what God can do with 150 of you. 
loving the Lord and passionately serving Him, what that could do for the health of our church. You guys are, are, are a force to be reckoned with. You guys encourage many of the adults in your faith by showing up to prayer night. And to see that continued on. Not to, look, not to beat our chest, look how great we are, but we're all about God. Look how great He is. It's all about sola Deo Gloria. All for His glory and His name's sake. And so that's what you have to look forward to. And again, if you're here and you have not been living for God's glory, repent. Believe the gospel. Turn before it's too late. Remember your creator in your youth before the days turn evil. <laughs>